We'll start us off with a word of prayer. There's a lot more of those. Yeah. Trust me. I am I am a-okay with them. <laughs> oh, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for your love, which we don't deserve. Thank you for this opportunity that Buddy and I have to grow together through the ministry of your word. Thank you for the truth that you have given to us by your son in your word. Thank you that we get to handle it. We get to hold it. and We get to hide it in our hearts. Help us to be faithful to the truth while we, uh, t- while we talk, Lord, so that the truth ultimately may do all the talking. It's for your glory we do this and for your great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. truth talks welcome back everyone to the truth talks podcast i'm your host buddy boone and that is the last time you will hear me say that in the year of 2021 Woo! yeah 2021 by the way is spelled 2020 w-o-n there you go 2021 there you go i tweeted the other day 2020 2021 w-o-n and then 2022 T O uh two O two O T O O like as well. Go. Cause uh it seems like we're living the same year over and over again. Groundhog Day. Yep, that's what it feels like. Yep. And uh this is gonna be the last one in the year of twenty twenty one for the purpose of taking like maybe a two week break or something like that. Mm. But not a long one like I've done before, cause uh we kinda got a good groove going. So it'll be easy for us to just kind of stay on that path. I'm just following you, man. Yeah. You make a good groove. Hey, I, I try I try to groove it out a little you, bit. You do. And yeah. the other guy on the other side on the other side of the uh table with the mic, that guy that you just heard, his name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, but I don't have much groove. Don't have much groove? You got all the groove. I no, I yeah. well, I bring the gravy, you bring the groove. Well, that works. That's, 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 that's I think that is very, very uh as you preachers would say, synoptic. <laughs> I think that I think that works pretty well. <laughs> Gravy and groove. I mean, what what more can you ask for? That's that's, that's a great combination, right? Yeah. There. You bring the music, I bring the meat. There you go. That See? that works See? for me. There you go. That works for me. So uh, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation around a few things uh, today. There's a couple of questions I want <clears throat> to answer uh, from from some people, uh, some some listeners. And uh, I'm going to get that person actually. We have listeners? Uh, we have two. All right, good. Two that's, two listeners. One more than last year. Yeah, one more than last year. We're making progress. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to actually call one of those listeners right now. All right. And, uh, well, he knows I'm calling them. But <clears throat> I'm just waiting for him to answer the phone, which I told him I'd be calling him in five minutes. And, you know. Hello? Hey, Talon. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Uh, you are actually live on the Truth Talks podcast right now. Just wanted you to know that. Yeah. But well, we are grooving. We're grooving and, and bringing gravy. <laughs> that is that is so much more exciting than I think you guys could know. This has been a, a personal dream of mine to, to make a make an appearance. Personal so I'm very dream? excited. Yeah. Oh, wow. You got yes, you, you gotta have better dreams, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you need no, to start. Dream it a little, a little more different, man. <laughs> just, just want you to know. I that. like my dreams just the way they are. I think it's a good <laughs> All right, man. That's awesome, man. So, uh, called you because you said you had a question. I always have questions. I have, 
I have too many questions. All right. But I could settle for one. Well, yeah, just just give us one. It's not that long. Of a, we'll call you back later for more questions, <laughs> but just give us one for right now. Um, certainly. So I'll I'll try and get away with, by making this question in two parts. Um, I was talking to a friend uh, earlier last week and discussing her like church going habits and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, she was explaining how her father has been like recently like reading up on the sabbath and dealing with different issues um dealing of the sabbath um which is interesting it's always interesting to me when when a christian talks about the sabbath at all because mm-hmm. i just wonder what they mean by the sabbath and what they think they're supposed to do on the sabbath um but yeah she was explaining like two things one that her father thinks that we are on the wrong calendar for the year and because of that the sabbath would change days of the week um as well as this thought that um like worship as you know christians like should always be on the sabbath like we are still supposed to obey the sabbath um and i brought up romans chapter 14 um but i've never actually had romans 14 like explained and executed and applied in such a way um as to relate to the sabbath so i guess my question is um for one, do, are we supposed to obey the Sabbath on a Saturday or a Sunday kind of issue? Is that like what Romans 14 is specifically referring to? As well as, do you think we need to move to a, a new moon calendar uh, where the Sabbath would change days of the week? Hmm. That's a great question. So, so uh, let me make sure I understand your question correctly i'm turning to romans 14 while you're while i'm talking so um your question first of all is are we supposed to obey the sabbath is that the first question yeah like as christians like how and like are we supposed to obey the sabbath and like what does that look like because i don't think it would look like it would you know like we started look i was started looking at some some sabbath laws with this girl and she was like, well, I don't know about that one, but that one kind of looks right. And I was like, well, this was for ancient Israel. So are we supposed to obey the Sabbath? And how are we supposed to obey the Sabbath? Yeah, so a, a couple things. Um, first of all, the Sabbath, it, it taken in its most literal uh, uh, form and understanding, it was Saturday. So let's we can start there and just define that uh, clearly. Um, historically, we see that... Um, in obviously Jewish Jewish history, we see that even still today in Jewish history, we see that obviously in the Scripture. We know that the Sabbath was Saturday. Um, Jesus was resurrected not on the Sabbath, uh, which was Saturday. He was resurrected on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. We see that mm-hmm. we see that in Scripture as well. So I think just start there with clarity. Um, we know that to be true. The other side is. The Sabbath is interesting because that's obviously one of the Ten Commandments, right? Number four, uh, God, God, you know, created the Sabbath and he demanded that it be kept holy, that it be designated as a special day uh, for uh, rest. And, uh, and it's interesting um, that reality of, the, of, of that command of honoring the Sabbath day and, uh, and keeping it holy obviously was... Um, was not repeated in the new testament it's the one of the ten commandments that's not repeated which is interesting right so there is no 
there is no Sabbath command in the New Testament, okay, which I think is, is, is quite clear. And there's a couple passages you can go to that reiterate that, that we, we are not bound to uh, keep the Sabbath. One of the clearest illustrations of that is the New Testament church. The early New Testament church did not keep a Sabbath, nor did they worship on the Sabbath. They worshiped on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, in large part mm-hmm. because that was a celebration of the resurrection of Christ, which is key doctrine to the early church, to the gospel, right, is the resurrection of Christ. And so uh, Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ, um, in according to Hebrews, is, is our Sabbath rest, right? He ultimately brings what the Sabbath pointed to personally and practically. He brings theologically. He becomes the ultimate rest for the believer. And I think that's one reason why we're not commanded to keep a Sabbath. Another reason is because Christ fulfilled the law and Sabbath keeping was part of the law, the Old Testament law. And so, uh, obviously, we're, we're, we're not bound to the law, Romans 6. We're not under law, we're under grace. And so all of those Old Testament laws obviously get uh, fulfilled in Christ. We're, we're not bound to them, we're not, uh, we're not under them. We're under the law of Christ, and so a lot of, the, a lot of the same commands in the law do get repeated in the New Testament, but again, that's the law of Christ uh, on a more technical uh, term. But it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, when you look at it, even Christ himself, right, spoke quite a bit about the Sabbath multiple times. He healed on the Sabbath, and uh, mm-hmm. he spoke very clearly in, in uh, uh, what was it, Mark, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 3, where he talked very clearly about the Sabbath and talking about how, how I think in Mark uh, 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, which is a which is a uh, pretty profound statement where Jesus is saying, "I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am superior to the Sabbath. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath." Right, and that's where the Pharisees were giving him a hard time because he's healing a man on the Sabbath, and he's like, "What are you talking about? I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath rest. This, you know, I am Lord over the Sabbath. You're missing the point." You're wanting to focus on the law, and Christ is like, you should be focusing on me because mm-hmm. I'm the Son of God. So when you start to realize that, then that kind of answers uh, a lot of what you're dealing with. But then when you go over to the New Testament and you see them, you, you, don't, you don't see them worshiping on the Sabbath, in the, obviously in the Christian sense of the word worship and in the Christian understanding of, of, of what we do. You can go over to um, Colossians chapter Two. This is an interesting passage. Whenever you're dealing with Sabbath stuff, and um, and here you go. It's in chapter two, verse sixteen, and Paul says, "Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon. Here it is, or a Sabbath." Makes it very clear that Paul is dealing with a heresy in the church. It's it's termed, theologians term it the Colossian heresy, but it was this weird synchronistic religion that tried to blend Judaism with Greek philosophy. And, and really it was, a, it was a seed form of what we would then see called Gnosticism, right? Where there was this hidden knowledge and, it, and, and this hidden knowledge could only uh, be found by blending in Jewish legalism as well as Greek philosophy. 
Mm. And, and that's what the Colossian heresy ends up becoming. And here he's dealing with the, with the Jewish legalism where he's like, don't let these people judge you, judge your level of spirituality based upon some festival, Jewish festival, some food diet, Old Testament dietary laws, or some Sabbath law. He's like, don't let people judge you spiritually on that. That's not what, that's not where your spirituality, your, your position in, in the Lord isn't based on those things. Paul's whole point in the book of Colossians is your position in the Lord, your spirituality is judged by, are you in Christ or not? Are you trusting Christ? Christ is the end of all of these things. And then he goes on in that same section at the very end. And he says, uh, these speaking of all of these, uh, trying to hold yourself accountable to the old Testament law or Greek philosophical thought. He says, all of these things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in pr- promoting, here it is, self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Mm. So Paul's basically saying, you could keep every Sabbath you want. You could keep every festival you want. You could keep every Jewish law you want. But if you think that's going to slow your flesh down, you have no clue what you're talking about because it's not going to stop your flesh. Because that's 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 not its purpose. That's not what it could ever do, and that's not what it what it will do. Only Christ can do that. And so I think it's interesting in this passage that he mentions all these. I mean, even you mentioned the calendar of the new moon. There it is, right there in, mm-hmm. in verse sixteen, and the Sabbath, and all of that. And he's like, they're never a point of judgment on somebody's spirituality, i.e., somebody's relationship with God is never based off of mm-hmm. what they do on the Sabbath or any festival. It's only based upon Christ. Is that helpful? Uh, yeah, that is that is quite helpful. I think part of my concern was that, like, as a Christian, I was trying to make an argument from silence of, like, well, the Bible didn't exactly, you know, you know, Paul doesn't say we have to obey a Sabbath, so, you know, we don't have to do a thing, you know, and, like, well, Jesus didn't talk about what we're supposed to do on the Sabbath, therefore... I don't think we're supposed to do anything. And like seeing these passages, you know, lined out, like it becomes a lot clearer that it's not simply an argument from silence of like, no. well, yeah, we don't see the Jewish church going to church on, on Saturdays. Like that's part of what I've heard yeah. as an explanation of why we don't obey the Sabbath. It's like, well, the, the, his, the, the church historically didn't do that. And I was like, well, I don't know. Why is that? Like, can we, put something behind that. And I think this is helpful to put something behind that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. You can see it in Acts chapter 20. Um, is just a, just a, just a, again, it's just a description, but it's a, it's an illustration nonetheless of when the church worshiped Acts chapter 20, verse seven on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked. So it's just describing when they would gather together as the church. You can see that same descriptor um, if you're if you're wanting to see verses that show when the you know essentially the early um, church gathered, you can see that same descriptor in First Corinthians 16, where Paul says, "Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also do." Verse two of chapter 16, First Corinthians, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. And so you can see he's describing as the first day of the week, you're to give something, you know, in this collection for the Jerusalem church, because that's when they gathered for worship. That's when they gathered. 
as the body of Christ in that uh, uh, vicinity of the region that Paul was writing to, because that's what the early church did. That's what we see in Acts 2. That's what we see in Acts 20. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians. It's what we see throughout Scripture. And, and so there's the illustration. Again, it's, it is an argument from silence in a certain way, but yet it's just describing what they did as the pattern. But then in, in Colossians 2, you have a very clear articulation of, yeah, no, the Sabbath isn't the point of judgment. It isn't a point of, of clarity. It isn't a point of, of demonstrating whether you're spiritually uh, right with God or not. There is no being right with God through the Sabbath. It's only through Christ. So hopefully that mm. clarifies. And again, going back to Mark 2, Mark 3, and I think Matthew 12, you'll see it again, where Jesus makes very clear he is Lord of the Sabbath. Those, that law, that's all done. It's all about him, obviously. It was all about him pointing forward from the law, but now that he's here, now he points back to the law to essentially show the need for him. And obviously the Sabbath helps us in that, but we, don't, we aren't commanded to obey it. We aren't commanded to keep it. We're not commanded to worship on it. There's, there's a form of this, and this is kind of what you're alluding to with your friend. It's called the Christian Sabbath. There is no such thing in the Bible called a Christian Sabbath. That's a pretty much just a made-up idea that many people in the church today embrace. Um, but there, you won't find that in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. That's good stuff. Good, yeah, man. Good question. Good. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the uh, podcast. Oh, Wait, what was that? What, 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 I just... It was it was it was applause, but I don't know what happened. It just went out for some odd reason. Yeah. It didn't want to clap for you. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Here we go. I got it back. There you go. I'm very you. happy that I was here today. Thank yeah. you for coming on, man. Yeah. All right. Take care. We got we got I actually gotta to jump to another caller here. So This is getting I'll wild. Go. See yeah. see what you started, Talon? <laughs> this is I think this is like, you know, a new direction for the Truth Talks podcast, you know. Yeah. There could be two hosts. Uh-oh. Buddy Boone and, and, and Bubby Hall, you know what I'm saying? Oh, watch out, Buddy Boone and Bubby Hall. That's got a good ring to it. I like it. We got lots of groove between you and Talon. We have all kinds of groove going. We have to bring some mashed potatoes, some yeah. mashed taters in here with yeah. that gravy. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, man, I'll talk to you. All right, God bless, guys. See you, right, brother. Bye. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call the other uh, question here because – you know, it, it's it's one thing for me to ask the question. It's another thing for someone else to ask the question. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have the other person ask the question. Sounds and, good. And you might know this person just, you know, offhand. Is this our third listener? This is our third <laughs> listener. Hold on one sec. I'm getting her for you. Oh, okay. Thank you. That was, that was Hey. Hi. You're actually live on the Truth Talks podcast right now. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. It doesn't matter. You didn't have to fix your hair for it. <laughs> so what what was your question that you had? I mean, I texted it to you. Wasn't that, wasn't can, that uh, hey, enough, sir? Can you do me a favor and not get sassy for all of our <laughs> listeners? Like, all of the listeners? Can you just kind of just answer the question for me, please? So is this going to end in uh, in some marriage counseling with, with I, Pastor? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, we timed it well. I mean, Matt is available for at least the next 20 minutes. Uh, okay, can you state your we, name? We've been here before, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, this is... This only is... once, Matt. Only once, right? Okay. Can you state your name and then ask your question, please? 
Um, my name is Beverly Boone. Mm-hmm. I did not know I was going to be doing this, so it's okay. please it's okay. forgive me. It's okay. Um, so I have been thinking of even how to word this because I wasn't fully fleshed out in all of this. So in my past, I've had friends go to ministries like International House of Prayer, and we are going to have a 24-hour prayer room or been invited to certain things where it's like, hey, we're going to email a sign up so that every person can take an hour so that we have the next 30 days covered with somebody praying every hour. Um, so situations like that. And I was having a conversation with someone and I was like, you know, it's just something about that makes me a little uncomfortable in that you have no idea who you're partnering with. Um, You don't really know who they are praying to or in what way. And so I personally am not feeling like that's something I want to, you know, join. So just having that conversation with the individual. But then I got to thinking, like, what is the biblical response to that? Like, what is... Is it all good as long as we're all praying or is there such a thing as prayer that is bad or not correct prayer, I guess? So So I was going to ask for clarity. I guess you're asking in the vein of uh, the people that you're partnering partnering with because or are you asking is prayer bad in, in that vein? Is all prayer good? If I'm praying to mm, that's, my higher power. That's a good power. way to ask it. That's a if good I'm way to ask If I'm praying to my higher power, and I remember Matt said in a sermon yes. a long time ago, like yes. there are prayers that are not answered. The yes. Lord will not hear yes. prayers. So, and I know for me in, the, in my past, I have participated in things of this nature kind of to check my yep. good Christian box. Like I'm busying myself with the traditions of man or an activity that has a Christian label on it so that I can check the box for, yep, I did my Christian thing for the day. Mm-hmm. And that's my personal background as far as part, probably part of also why I'm a little hesitant going forward as I'm examining my own motives and things these days as my theology is maturing and sitting under, you know, biblical teaching. And so, yeah, this is, that's a good question. It's, a, it's an important question. Um, obviously, um, I think we could go for, we could go for at least two hours on a podcast on this, which I'm sure we will, but, um, just to encourage you that the first sermon of the new year will be on prayer. Well, oh, that we awesome. never that that was we couldn't see that one coming, could we? No. <laughs> so uh, that's what it's going to be on, obviously, because we're going to be back in Mark eleven, and we haven't finished Mark eleven. Actually, there's one verse that we haven't finished. I've saved, and there's going to be two. There's two important truths in that one verse, and it's prayer and forgiveness. And those are going to be the first two sermons of. Uh, Wait a minute! Hold yeah. on, hold on. You start off 2022 with prayer and forgiveness. Yep. Yep. Yeah. See, let me tell you, let me <laughs> let me explain to you how people are looking at 2022 right now. You know how last year 
2021 is going to be my year. I'm claiming it. I'm naming it right now. It's going to be my year. You know what they're doing to 2022 right now? They are walking up to it with a real long stick just poking at the door. And we're going to need lots of prayer. Oh, my goodness. And lots of forgiveness. Oh, yeah. So I just figured the Lord was kind to help us in Mark 11 to end where we ended before the Christmas series, yeah. which set us up well. So yeah. I just... um. Yeah, I just think uh just to encourage you Beverly cuz I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm not going to uh uh I'm sure I'm not going to answer all your questions, but here's a here's a passage that's interesting that uh to start off answering your question. Luke or uh, Psalm 66. We'll start there. Mm-hmm. And it goes like this, verse 18. Um if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And so it's really interesting when um, uh, the psalmist is praying here, he's talking about this reality of cherishing sin in his heart, having a wicked, sinful, rebellious, obviously obstinate heart where he's in ongoing, unrepentant sin and yet still crying out to the Lord, still praying. And his point is, yeah, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord's not going to listen to me. And so it's, it's pretty fascinating, um, uh, to consider that. And, and that's honestly, if we're, if we're, if we're being truthful, so many of the quote unquote prayers that are offered to God are offered from unrepentant hearts, people that are not truly broken and seeking the will of God for the glory of God. They're seeking simply the God in a bottle, the genie, get me out of this problem, Lord you know, has nothing to do with God and his grace and his mercy and their deep need for that. It's literally, I'm in a predicament. Where are you at? You're here for me. You're my genie in the bottle. I'm crying out to you. And the Lord's like, yeah, I don't, I don't listen to those kind of prayers. I don't hear that. I don't hear those kind of prayers. So I think it's interesting, um, that passage and obviously all that, uh, the Psalms speak of when it comes to prayer. So you asked a minute ago, I think a really good question are there, are are all prayers acceptable to God? Absolutely not. I mean, emphatically, no. I mean, Psalm 66 even says that, right? If I cherished iniquity in my heart, if I kept unconfessed sin, you know, not that, not that any of us are ever perfect. That's not the point. But if I'm continuing in sin and I know it, that's obstinate Mm -hmm. rebellion, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, where you're cherishing, I've got this pet sin, but you know, God understands my heart. Yeah. God says he's not listening to your prayers, right? And uh, which is interesting. I'll show you another one, which is really fascinating. Um, so there's, there's a prayer that God doesn't listen, the prayer from the unrepentant man. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That That's one. Here's another one that's actually very scary for me. And I'm confident is scary for Buddy as well. Uh, let's call this the prayers. I know which way it is. Yeah. The prayers of an ungodly husband. Okay, so here you go. Uh, the prayers of an ungodly husband aren't heard by the Lord. There's First uh, Peter three seven. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Here you go, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Haunting. That's a, that is one of the scariest passages yep. for me as a husband. Definitely for me. Because if there's one thing I never want on the planet, it's for my hair, my, my prayers to be hindered. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I am a man who 
is in desperate need of the Lord. And I'm going to do whatever I can to keep open communication with him because without him, I can do nothing. Yep. And to consider that the way I love my wife is a clear, uh, it, it is, it creates a clear or a clouded pathway between me and the Lord. Obviously the Lord hears every prayer. He's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So it's not that he doesn't hear it. It's not that he doesn't know it. He knows everything we're going to say before we ever say it. He knows every prayer in our mind before it ever hits our lips. So it's not an ability issue. It's a, it's a choosing, right, to not answer it. It's a choosing to not hear it. And so obviously let's be clear about what we're talking about. But obviously the Bible's clear. Prayers of an ungodly man are hindered, i.e. They're not, they're not listened by the Lord. They're not answered, mm-hmm. right? And now one of the reasons that's interesting about that and even going back to Psalm 66, why is that? What is it about the unrepentant man and the ungodly man, and it could be the same for the woman, obviously, but using that terminology in a, in a general sense, what is it about those people that make their prayers unheard or hindered, if you will? Well, this is where you go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, and I think this is really gets to the core of your question, and I think probably the clearest way to answer it. And that is in First John chapter five, starting uh, uh, in verse fourteen. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, talking towards God, that if we ask, i.e., pray, that's what He means. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Verse fifteen. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, i.e. pray, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, why does that verse connect with Psalm 66 and even 1 Peter 3, 7 in a, in a universal, general, overarching implication? It goes like this. If you're dealing with an ungodly man who's living with his wife in an ungodly way, he's not listening, he's not seeking to know her, understand her, understand her worth, understand her works, understand her as a co-heir of the grace of God, then what you've got is a man who, who is living according to his will, not according to God's will. Hmm. So then what he, he's going to do is he's going to pray according to his will, not God's will. If you've got a man who is openly living in unrepentant sin and cherishing it in his heart, meaning he's hiding it, he's going to continue to do it, he's a man enslaved to pornography, a man enslaved to thievery, a man enslaved to pride, a man, whatever. And he knows it and he's not doing anything about it. He's just living the duplicitous life. I've got this, but nobody really knows, but I'm going to pretend and I'm going to pray and, and maybe even think that I'm doing the right thing and God's going to answer. Well, guess what he's always going to do? He's going to pray according to his will. Mm. He's going to pray to what he thinks is right. He's going to pray according to what he deems is best not according to God's will, because he's not following God's will. Mm-hmm. His God's will is clear. You must confess your sins. You must repent of your sins. And so that's, that's in large part where the connection lies. God chooses not to hear those prayers because he will only listen to any prayer that's according to his will. And that's why he's not a genie in a bottle where we can give him our laundry list of whatever we want, and, and one day he'll get around to giving us that. No, God, God is not here to serve us. We are here to serve him. Mm. That changes everything. Mm-hmm. We were created to serve him and we pray in accordance with his will that we might serve him. 
mm-hmm. so that he might answer this so that we can better live for him, worship him and serve him, not so that he can do for us so that we can better live for ourselves, serve ourselves and glorify ourselves. Well, that's how the ungodly man will always pray. It'll be about himself. That's how the unrepentant man will always pray. It'll be about himself. I'll give you another example. And you can, here's an illustration of all of these. And that would be uh, Luke uh, 18. Let me flip over there, make sure I've given you the right reference, though. So I don't, I don't lie. Luke 18, or I think Luke 18 is the prayer of the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? Mm. So what do we have here? Yeah, that is. Yeah, so, so in Luke 18, you've got a really good illustration of what we're talking about here. And you've got two prayers being offered up to the Lord, right? They're both talking to the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And in the, in the simplest sense of definition of prayer, we know it's more than that, but at its base, it's our communication from us to God. And uh, so there you have the Pharisee, he's talking to God. And what does he say, right? You know, uh, uh, what does he say? Two men and the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. So, I mean, what is he praying? He's praying a self-centered, selfish prayer of pride and arrogance and self-exaltation. Well, obviously God doesn't listen to any of that because what does he say then about the tax collector? It says he doesn't even look up to God. He beats his breast, he beats his chest uh, based as a sign of humility and, and, and a recognition, recognition of his wretchedness and doesn't even lift his eyes up to heaven and just says, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one went down to his house justified? But here's another way to say it. Which one of those men were heard by the Lord? Which one of those mm-hmm. men did the Lord bless? Which one of those men did the Lord listen to? Which one of those men prayed in accordance to God's will? Well, not the Pharisee. Mm-hmm. He was praying in accordance with his will. His will was, look at me. I'm following the law. I'm better than anybody. Right. Well, that's not God's will, mm-hmm. right? And obviously the tax collector was. Is that is that helpful? That is helpful in clarifying that, that question, but I still am curious about the 24-hour house of prayer or are participating in something like that. Yeah. Meaning, so, meaning I'm praying with unknown hundreds or thousands of people around who knows what locations. Yeah. I've signed my name to a list. Yeah. That's that's kind of knowing that clarity of the Lord does not hear every prayer. No. Not at then, all. Yep. participating in something like that where like my motive say my motive my yep my heart is to truly worship the lord seek his will seek his mercy yep um but again i don't know who i'm partnered with i don't know who's got the other hours i signed up for midnight yeah so beyond uh, that yeah so. a couple things i would say is it wrong to do that N- no you know in a general sense now obviously if you're partnering with unbelievers you know, there's a whole lot of issues there. And so you don't know who you're partnering with. So I would obviously have concern with that um, on obvious, obvious levels. But in a general sense, is it wrong to pray with people? Obviously not. I mean, the Bible commands us to pray. However, the, the Bible in its context, right, what it shows is twofold. It shows individuals praying 
right? It's individual mm-hmm. prayer, people crying out to God themselves, right? As they pray mm-hmm. for themselves. And then it shows corporate prayer, right? Congregational prayer where you have, you know, the congregation of Israel gathered together and they're praying and the priest is leading them and, and the prophets are leading them and they're praying, right, as a group. Or you see it as a church, right, where the church is gathered and they're praying to the Lord. Or you have individuals praying, Paul praying, Peter praying, whoever praying. What you don't see is this, is this conglomeration of, of people praying and they don't know, like partnered up. That's just not something you're going to find in the Bible, doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do it. I'm just saying you're, you have no precedence for that in Scripture. You have precedence for individuals praying, and you have pre- precedence, very clear precedence, of congregations of gathered people who are connected praying, a church praying together, a church coming together to pray. And so um, so for me, I, um, I don't take part in those things where I'm gathered with people who I don't know through an internet deal or whatever, it's like, hey, if they want to do that, that's fine. I'm not going to judge them for that. I don't know the motives of people's heart. I can't tell where they are. And so obviously they're going to do what they're going to do. And, you know, if the Lord blesses that, praise the Lord. But I'm going to pray individually and I'm going to pray with the people God has brought into my life that I know that we're going to partner with and pray with, whether it's publicly in our congregational gathering or, you know, if we do a round the clock prayer thing or whatever and it's the people I know who are praying, and yeah, I'll partner with that. But to partner with people I don't know, um, that's, not, that's something I, I've, I just don't do, and I haven't done, uh, because I don't, feel any, I don't feel compelled to do that. I pray, and our elders pray, and I pray with people I know, but I don't see that, I don't see that in Scripture. Obviously, there's a command in 1 Thessalonians 5, what is it, 17, 18, pray without ceasing. Obviously, we can have a debate on what does Paul mean by that, you know, and uh, and so again, I'm not saying it's technically wrong. It is wrong to pray with unbelievers and make them make them feel like they're believers. Obviously, and there's a lot of people who aren't believers. The International House of Prayer, uh, IHOP, is I've got real issues with that. You brought that up earlier on, and I'm, obviously, there's filled with unbelievers on many levels. That that whole uh, uh, wing of the quote unquote prosperity gospel new apostolic reformation wing filled with unbelievers on many levels and so i would i would never want to be a part of that not that everybody in that is an unbeliever i'm not i'm not spreading a a wide swath in that sense i'm just saying i know there are so many who aren't who are obviously false teachers and stuff i wouldn't partner with anybody like that so those national days of prayer and stuff yeah you know praise the lord but if I'm going to get involved in that, I'm going to do that in my local church with my local leaders and, um, or, you know, with my family, with whatever, or just individually. Like I can, I can pray at any time, mm-hmm. like, right. like gathering on an, on, you know, with a group of people and pray. like that doesn't make prayer more effective. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's, there's nothing in the Bible that, you know. James chapter five says the prayer of a righteous. Wait, wait. when two or three are gathered. No, no, that doesn't. Yeah, we all know what that. (laughs) Someone's getting disciplined. Yeah, that's what it is. Exactly, exactly. And somebody needs some prayer. So let's be honest. (laughs) But James chapter five says what? The prayer of a righteous man Mm -hmm. availeth much. Doesn't Mm -hmm. say prayer of righteous men gathered, meaning the more men you have, the more it avails. Yeah. As if there's some barrier you've got to overcome. Hmm. Right. And it's like, no, I mean, one man praying who's a godly man 
is far more powerful than 10,000 ungodly men praying. Mm. And so it's understanding the, the nature of prayer, the object of prayer, and the purpose of prayer, yeah. right? And that's where it gets confusing for a lot of people. And uh, so, yeah, no, I, our concert of prayer we do as a church, you know, that, that's our heartbeat. So we, we do that, you know, every month. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what the National Day of Prayer is, we do every month. Yeah. You know, and because prayer is so important. And then our elders do it every week. Mm-hmm. Literally, we gather and we pray for over an hour um, in intercessory prayer for our church and for our missionaries, you know, without ceasing as a group of men. And so, and then obviously we're praying individually. So, yeah. So hopefully that's, that's helpful. That is very helpful. Final clarification. <laughs> Good. Praise the Lord. My house shall be a house of prayer mm-hmm. is kind of the foundational scripture for IHOP and ministries, I use air quotes, of the national prayer network things that I've, that I've experienced. And so, again, in the past, I've just kind of accepted, oh, well, that's what the Bible says. But now as I've realized a lot of my understandings have been wrong, what is the correct understanding of that in its context yes um i'm looking it up right now um isn't that mark 11 it is i'm i'm pulling i'm pulling to it but right that's now that's a different uh version though isn't it yeah one second cuz yeah i mean that is the the yeah it's it's verse 17 yeah, yeah. That's a question, though. It's not a statement. Yeah, no. It's he's quoting in Mark. In oh, Mark it's not written. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's he's quoting. Um, he's quoting out of Isaiah, Isaiah uh, fifty-six, and I and I I spoke about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were when we were teaching on this, and I'm just going. I'm flipping back to Isaiah fifty-six, just for. Uh, context he he's quoting out of verse um seven of isaiah 56 i'm going to read it it's just helpful it's helpful to read the whole the context right Mm -hmm. jesus is just quoting you know part of the verse but um he says in verse seven of isaiah 56 these i will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer the burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be a shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, "I will gather yet others to Him besides those already gathered." Okay, so now, oh, that's a lot in there. Ah, uh, amen. That's but a lot. now, now, if you understand what I just read out of Isaiah fifty-six, and you read, go back to Mark eleven, understanding in context. Mm. What mm-hmm. what is going on mm-hmm. when he cleanses the temple? Yep. So now where 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 is the issue happening in the temple? In the Gentiles. In the court of court. in the court of Gentiles. Ah, okay. And the court of Gentiles was to be a place where who was to go in and pray? The Gentiles. The Gentiles were that was where they were supposed to go in. 
mm-hmm. under the obviously the Old Testament law system. We don't have that anymore, so right. that that kind of that makes using that verse and the context a real problem. But we'll get mm-hmm. to that. But taking that passage, understanding it as a as a quotation out of Isaiah fifty six seven, understanding the context of Isaiah fifty six seven, where the prophet is talking about the reality that God's going to gather both Israel and the Gentiles together. Mm. Uh, into his ultimate temple for worship and sacrifice and i.e. prayer, and he's using that somewhat synonymously. And now he's quoting that in the temple in Jerusalem in the outer court of the Gentiles that has become a marketplace of thievery, robbery, and greed that actually was primarily being abused where the Gentiles had no room to come in and pray because the Israelites had set up their flea market Mm. by which they were stealing from one another, patting their pockets, and the Gentiles couldn't even get in. Mm. And Jesus is like, I'm cleaning this up because didn't you know that my my temple is to be a house of prayer, i.e. for all people, and the Gentiles can't even come in because you've set up this ridiculous flea market Mm. and all this stuff. And so... So he's he's not specifically using it cliche as another name for the temple. He's talking about the purpose of the temple was to be a place of worship for all people. And what they had turned it in was to a flea market for some people, the Israelites. Mm-hmm. The Jews did not want the Gentiles in there. And this is one of the ways they were holding them back. And what and what one of the things they were irritated about Christ was that in many ways, he was making room for all people to come in. Mm. He was cleaning up the court of the Gentiles so the Gentiles could come in, and the Pharisees didn't like that. So they're wanting the Messiah to come and destroy the Gentiles. They're wanting the Pharisees, they're wanting the Messiah to come and squash all the Romans and every Gentile. They hated the Gentiles. Mm. And, they're, and, and now the Messiah is coming, and he's like, what are you guys doing? Make room for the Gentiles. My house is to be a house of prayer for all people. And you're just doing this deal as if it's just for the Jews. No, open it up, and he's purging it. And so that's, if you understand it in its context, that's what he's talking about. And then he's using that, as, as Isaiah does, the prophet, and you can go back and look at it in context. House of prayer is, in many ways, is just a synonym for place of worship, mm-hmm. right? Because that's mm-hmm. all prayer is. Prayer is, a, mm-hmm. is, is, is an act of worship to the Lord. So it's not so much specifically talking alone as the act of prayer. It's not denying that. But if you notice in Isaiah 56, it's pulling in, offering sacrifices to the altar and praise and burnt offerings and all of that. And that's what a house of prayer was, right? It was a place of worship to the Lord. And so um, obviously when it's used today, it's used out of context, specifically in that one vein of prayer. And obviously... There was much prayer offered in the temple, as there was much singing, as there was much sacrifice, as there was all kinds of things that was beyond just prayer. And so, yeah. You have just, like, shot down, <laughs> rightfully, I'd, I'd say 20 years of me understanding that completely wrong. Because my brain wants to say, okay, house of prayer. And there's whole, like, denominations, yeah. whole denominations behind that like scripture my house should be called a house of prayer yeah and you know i grew up you know not going to those churches but knowing tons of people Mm -hmm. that believe that you know that is like their swan song of the church yeah like that's what they're supposed to be believing and 
studying. So yeah, well, so just understanding this context is completely ab- different. Absolutely, and then it does. And I'm just to be clear, I'm not denying that the temple, nor in the New Testament sense, the church or whatever, I'm not denying that prayer is important. Matter of fact, prayer is primary. Mm-hmm. So I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that the temple wasn't supposed to be a house of prayer. It was in the sense of prayer was supposed to go on. It was it, in the new te- in the Old Testament sense. It was the place where Israel and the Gentiles met with God. Mm. Right in the New Testament sense, my heart is the house of prayer. Right, the Holy Spirit dwells within me because my my life now is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So if I'm going to really apply it and use it in the very narrow sense of the word, mm. then my ha- my heart is the house of prayer. Mm. Right, and so I don't need a building for that. Right, because my life is the temple of the Holy Spirit, First mm-hmm. Corinthians six. So you can see how that's a very loose, a loose handling of that phrase and applying it in a very narrow sense, mm. right? And so, am I denying that the church, or you know, uh, the New Testament believer is to be involved in prayer? Absolutely not. That's primary. It's commanded. It's but there's more to that meaning, house of prayer, right? What what does prayer display? What was the temple worship supposed to be all about? Well, it was, it was to be all about displaying your utter dependence upon God. Mm. That's what prayer is. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, prayer is nothing more than the heart cry of a humble, broken man who's in need of God. Mm. That's what it is, mm-hmm. right? Or it's either that or it's the heart cry of one who has just been saved or blessed by God. Mm-hmm. You're either doing one or the other. You're either crying out to God because you need him or you're crying out to God because he has just saved you, provided for you, blessed you, right? Mm-hmm. It's one or the other. But either way, it's, a, it, it's always Godward. Prayer is always lifted up, either in I need you, God, or thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Well, what the temple had become was not a place where God was needed, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't Godward. It was manward. It was all man-centered. And so when we pray, biblically, a house of prayer is always Godward. We pray. It's always faithful, God-honoring prayer is always away from man. Mm -hmm. But what was happening in the temple was everything was directed toward man. It was all about what man could do, what man could bring. Obviously, in the court of the Gentiles, when he cleanses the temple, it was all about the money man could get. And so man was pilfering the Passover. That's what was going on. Mm -hmm. Man was taking the Passover, and he was kiping from it. Instead of giving to God what God ultimately deserved, and giving glory to him for what God had done, man was seeking to gain from God. Or what Paul would later say, the false teachers do, they peddle the word of God, or they peddle prayer. And they're taking the idea of prayer, and they're using it to pad their own pockets. Mm. And you, you see how that works. Yeah. And so when, it, when the Bible speaks of prayer, it's, it's really driving us to a point of dependence on God. And that's what the temple illustrated. The people came to, to God in the temple to worship him because they were dependent. If God didn't forgive them and take their sacrifice, obviously the wrath of God abided on them. Right. So they're bringing their sacrifice out of desperation. Mm-hmm. God, I need to be forgiven. Or they're bringing their, their request to God because, God, we need help. And obviously in the, in the sense of when Christ went into the temple, no one obviously was doing that. The Pharisees weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. There was no dependency. It goes back to Luke 18. Right. That's a house of prayer. When he, the Luke 18 tax collector is saying what? God forgive me, a sinner. He, he's what? Dependent. Mm. The other guy, he's independent. Mm-hmm. I don't need you, God. Look, I'm not like him. I'm not like him. I'm not like him. 
You see the difference? It's all about me versus the other guy. It was all about God. Yeah. That's a house of prayer. Mm. You see, you see how that's getting more into the important motive and meaning behind what was going on rather than just the act of prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's good. That's it. That's good. That was clarifying. Amen. All right. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, cut you off here because we have some other things to talk about before we end the podcast but oh so you're not coming home for dinner right now uh not right now uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a few moments he I'll will be. be he will be soon yeah i will I'll be save soon. your plate honey i, I appreciate baby's hungry. keep the light on for me <laughs> lira's staring at me like give me my chicken the most beautiful granddaughter in Listen, the whole world you don't you about. don't you hold nothing back from lira you feed that baby nope, she's about to go to town good Yes. All right. Thank you, All both right. of you, and I appreciate both of you. All right. Love you. All right. Bye. Bye. I love you. Yeah. So, uh, I would say um, that, yeah, that was extremely clarifying. What I want to do for the rest of the podcast, because we don't have that much time left, um, I want to kind of talk through this year of twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And we can do it. We can literally follow some of your sermons okay. that you've preached yeah. in that time. I hope you remember them because I don't. I remember some of them. <laughs> uh, you can it, refresh my memory. Yeah. I, and the thing about it is the notes, I don't have the notes with me. Yeah. Because I have, I think I'm on my third book <laughs> of notes <laughs> for the entire year. It shows you where we've been. Yeah. Um, but one of, one of the things that, okay, so first you were in Mark for most of the year, yeah. you know, cause we're going through Mark as a church. So, uh, there was, uh, I remember Mark nine, um, and then you paused for a little bit and yep. you did this one series yep. on, uh, the church. And we talked about this last time, uh, government. and, uh, government. Yeah. Romans 13. Yeah. And. For me, that was a very eye-opening, yeah. you know, one. Um, you know, you included R.C. Sproul's book in there as yep. well. Yep. Um, but thinking, speaking of that whole, I'd say, uh, series, uh, the debacle that we're dealing with right now with, yes. and we 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 talked about this this year on the podcast, uh, the vaccines. Um, speaking of that, now we're getting into a time of year. And a, I'd say a time, a, a place in time where vaccine mandates are like the thing. First, it was, yeah. hey, will you take it when it comes out? Now it's like there's a vaccine mandate. But now we were talking about this off uh, offline that there has been a lot of people yeah. that are a lot of systems, employers that are now taking the vaccine mandate back. Yeah. And in that. <laughs> I almost want to say that we're going to get to a point in time where the people that are not vaccinated, they're going to be the ones asked to give blood Yeah, because <laughs> they're going to start finding out what the vaccines are and are really doing to our bodies. Yeah. For me, you know, it's like there are things that like aspirin or ibuprofen I'm not a huge fan of them because yeah. of, you know, there are, they are a chemical, you know, if something happens to me, like I got, I was sick a few weeks ago and the way that I was able to, you know, get better was, you know, there's some, something that I put through my nose, you know, the, the, you know, the, 
the mist that you mm-hmm. put in your nose. Um, and then I drank a lot of juiced ginger. Mm. I juiced some ginger, some celery, some carrots, apples, and I was just going to town on it. And it was great. You know, some tea, some hot liquids, and a lot of water with lemon in it. And I did, however, take some Sudafed and yep. some some ibuprofen. I would much rather do it the other way, but I'm trying to get back to work. Yeah. You know, but those are things that were proven over long periods of time. Mm. Particularly the vaccines, none of them have been. Mm-hmm. They were rushed to production mm-hmm. and they just really did not represent what I would say wisdom mm-hmm. in time. Mm-hmm. There's some people that are listening that have already gotten it. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. Mm-hmm. If you want to do that, I have no problem with doing it. I'm not going to call you a hypocrite. I'm not going to call you stupid. I'm not going to call you anything uh, unless you <laughs> are late for dinner. I'm going to call you. <laughs> get here. But I'm just saying, like, with that being the case and that being a mandate, in some areas, will we, will that be another point of contention as far as like disobeying the government? Do you think that? It could be, could be. Yeah. It it, it would be, that would obviously be an individual choice, Christian choice. And, um, will I, do I think it'll get there? Well, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. So, uh, and cause there are no prophets today. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> Um, but in the, in the, in the for foretelling sense, um, so yeah, I have no idea. Um, but it seems to me if, if, um, have any pulse on, on where we're going, seems to me two things, one that our government. And when I use that term, I'm meaning the Biden administration. Obviously there are people that work in our government that are good people and obviously do not agree with where we're going. And so I'm not. I'm not speaking of that. I'm just speaking of the current administration, the direction we're going. Mm-hmm. I'm using that term government in that broad sense. The current direction of our of our government clearly is one is one that is, shall we say, and I mean uh, uh, I mean no disrespect in this, I'm just being honest. Clueless. They're clueless. Mm-hmm. Clueless on literally almost every single level. And time has shown that. And I think now with the courts are beginning to respond to President Biden's vaccine mandates and every court to date has denied it, proven that it's unconstitutional. Well, that just keeps happening, right? I don't think that's going to stop because I've said, even I think even on the podcast, that from day one, this, is, this has seemed to me, and I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but just logically, this thing has been governmental overreach from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I guess I could be proven wrong, but I think I've been proven right. And our government in this administration, more than any other, has proven to be reaching far beyond the bounds that government has for itself, or even more importantly, the bounds that God has given in the design of government. They are outside of their lane. They are no longer uh, running in the purpose that God designed government to be, or even in a, if, even in a constitutional republic like ours, they are no longer within the boundaries of the Constitution that defines the role of government and all of that. But God, obviously God's word is even more, more important than even that. But either way you look at it, this government's, it, it, it's, 
it's kind of like driving and you've gone off the road. They're not even one tire on, one tire off. They're they're like in the woods. They're not even close. Yeah. Right. And and it's and and the reason why I say that is not to mock them, but to show that this thing's this thing's starting to hit trees. Like like a few months ago, it was like, okay, where's this going? Now we know it's going to crash and burn. Mm-hmm. This thing is not. So what's going to happen? I think all these vaccine mandates are going to are going to eventually self destruct. Now there'll be some companies that are, for lack of a better word, more uh, liberal, more democratic in the sense of Democrats. You know, from the liberal wing of that party, progressive maybe is a better term. Those companies will keep it because that's what they want to do. Okay. I mean, I guess a company has that right to to do that. But what you're going to find is most of these companies are going to pull back on all of this because it will destroy them because they're going to lose so many people and you can't hire. Obviously, we're seeing the hiring crisis in our culture. So this is going, this is likely going to go away in this sense. It'll self-destruct. It won't go away by admission that we were wrong. It'll go away because it's not going to work. Like, it's just you're going to watch everything start to fold in on itself. And it's already happening. Mm-hmm. And, and what's folding in? Poll numbers, because that's all they care about. Yeah. They just want to get reelected. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, the Democratic Party is on a, is on a uh, shall we say, a direct mission of destruction they are gonna they are going to destroy themselves and people are starting to see it within the democratic party and they're realizing we can't keep doing this so it's going to self-destruct itself eventually and then what's going to happen in two years uh, less than two years now there's going to be a, a mass change in our in our government um, unless something happens otherwise and that's going to bring a whole host of change. And then probably in 2024, that's going to bring a whole host of change. Does that mean everything's going to get better? That's not what I'm saying. But so many of these things are going to get reversed. They're going to get changed. And and uh, that's that seems to me, and that's kind of how our government works. That's one of the weaknesses of it. It's actually, it's it's pretty uh, pitiful design because whether it, cause it works both ways. If you get a bad administration in don't worry just wait it'll get changed Mm. but if you get a good one in don't worry just wait it'll get changed and so what happens with that is nothing really happens Mm. right nothing nothing of good really lasts bad can happen immediate bad that's what we're seeing now we're watching Mm -hmm. inflation we're watching all kinds of issues in the job market and in the medical world with all these vaccine mandates that can happen really quickly Mm -hmm. but good it takes a lot of time to pass laws and all of that and that rarely happens anymore because nobody's in office long enough uh and obviously good people can't get voted into office because uh, of a myriad of reasons so yeah so i I don't think this is going to pan out to a point where you're going to see massive civil disobedience on a on a corporate level you're going to see it on an individual level and we've already seen it individuals who have deep-seated convictions that the vaccine is is not right for them they're losing their job. Military people are resigning or stepping down. I've n- I know a number of them and people are having to lose their job. I know people who have done that. And so will that continue? Yeah, that's going to continue for a little while longer, I think. But I'm, I think you're going to watch it. These companies are going to start reversing. And then I'm wondering what's going to happen to those people that lost their job. <laughs> and it's, it's just a mess. Yeah. It's where we are. 
So I don't think it's, uh, I think my counsel to Christians would be bide your time as long as you can, because this, this is likely going to pass over this specific one, this vaccine mandate. All of this is, is just proving itself to be a joke. Mm-hmm. Like all of it, all of it is just a governmental debacle. Our government is clueless. It is it has gone outside its bounds. It has no clue what it's doing. It is it is like the blind leading the blind, and everybody's starting to see it now. And by God's grace, I'm praying that some wise people step up, even within the Democratic Party, and and uh, start to hold these people accountable and say, no, no, this is nuts. And we're starting to see that even with even with uh, Senator Manchin and and others who obviously are are not. Uh, tethered to blue states, but are m- more in red states who are realizing, yeah, well, I'm not going with this nonsense. And that they, um, Senator Manchin just, so the Senate just voted to repeal all the mandates. So the Senate, bipartisan Democrats and Republicans, v- voted to repeal Biden's uh, mandate. Now, obviously, it's got to go through the House. It probably won't pass, but even if it does, Biden will veto it. But what that shows is now you've got a a bipartisan group in the in the Senate who have said, yeah, this is not constitutional. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see that. And why did they do that? Because that's the constituency. That's the people. You're going to see that spread. And so this thing, this thing's going to burn itself out. Mm-hmm. It will. But then you have all the court battles as well. That yeah. it, it goes yeah. through the courts and, mm-hmm. you know, it gets, it's, it's like this long process of, of every single thing. I mean, yeah. and, and the other side to this is, we're not in a pandemic anymore. Yeah. And so that's going to burn itself out. Mm-hmm. The, 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 our political, this is our government. It's, it's literally so politicized. It has nothing to do with the people anymore. It's all about power and it's all about privilege and it's all about policy, right? Getting what they want mm-hmm. out of while they're in office. And obviously, I mean, anybody with, with, with any sense of honesty has to admit that if they really cared about the virus, then they would have dealt with all the virus that's coming through the southern border. Yeah. Right. So that to me is just the obvious duplicity, the hypocrisy. They don't care about the virus spreading, but if they did, it's coming obviously through the southern border, through all the uh, illegal aliens entering mm-hmm. the country, and nobody's doing anything. So that's that, that's that's the call Biden out card. It's just like give me a break. It's all a lie. If you really care, if you really were concerned. Then you would shut be, it down. you would shut it down, mm-hmm. right? But obviously they don't. So it's all a farce. It's all, it's just it's government doing what government does. Yeah, government talks to talk but doesn't walk to walk. And at and the, at the yeah. time of this recording, uh, nobody has died from the Omicron variant. Yeah, yeah. and they said that there were eighty percent of the people that got the actual variant were fully vaccinated. Yeah, eighty percent. Yeah. So the other twenty percent unvaccinated, eighty percent being vaccinated and being able to still get coronavirus just kind of shows you the strength of the the vaccine. Yeah. One and call it a jab. I don't really call it a vaccine. What I call a vaccine is the polio vaccine that I got as a child. I've never had to deal with polio because of that, and you know I'm not you know. I'm sad that people have it, but that to me is a vaccine. I've never gotten a booster, nothing I yeah. know of, but probably did. But things that like keep it a long time away from you, yeah. But well, other, go ahead. Yeah, that's a yeah. Obviously, you know, that's a that's a that's a whole nother that's a whole nother 
issue. But mm-hmm. um, so this this thing's obviously gonna. Who knows what the virus is gonna do? But I said it. I've said it to our congregation. I've said it on the podcast. I said it for a year and a half. I said it early on. This thing's not going away. Mm-hmm. It is not. We will have we will have COVID nineteen with us probably forever. You know, as long as until the Lord returns, just as we have every other virus, mm-hmm. right? It, it it's gonna be with us. Some strain is gonna be with us. There's gonna be new strains every year. This is how these things work. I'm not a epidemiologist, but I'm smart enough to know that that's just common sense. I know the common sense has died today, but there's some of it left. Yeah. Right. And so. The reality is you just got to learn how to live with it. And so however that is, if it's the vaccine, if it's therapeutics, whatever it is, you just got to learn how to live with it. That's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to start. to. You're going to watch this. You're going to watch this begin to take hold and people are going to begin to get it because you can't, you can't keep living in lockdowns. That has proven to be useless. Masks are basically... A, uh, su- a pseudo therapeutic. That's all it is. It's an emotional, mental mind trick. It's, yeah. you know, obviously if a virus is as deadly and as serious as this is, that little cloth masking and do nothing. And so we know that. I mean, we're, we're wiser than that. Um, we got to do two. Yeah. Or, I mean, three. yeah, it's, it's again, it, it, yeah, it's a whole nother issue. So, yeah. Um, one but, thing that I've been able to hang my hat on and 100% no question in my mind is I have been I've been able to see God's sovereignty in the midst of all of this stuff that's happening. Absolutely. Because one thing that has not changed is the word of God and our reliance on that for me has been like it's been comforting. It's been like I can just rest. It's like the, the, the rock that I can always know that's there. And I've seen Christ's sovereignty in the fact that, you know, his word is always like always telling you before. It's like it's, the word is already said, this is coming. This is coming. This is coming. Where people are, you know, lovers of themselves and just, mm-hmm. you know, go down the list. That has been like my like my my comfort, my uh, my reassurance your, every single time. Your anchor in the storm. Anchor. And so- Think about it, right? If you really believe in the sovereignty of God, and I'm not talking about mental assent, I'm talking about life conviction. Mm-hmm. There's a difference, big difference, huge difference. It's a difference between demon faith and true faith. Mm-hmm. And so if you truly believe that, then you have nothing to worry about, mm-hmm. right? There is no rogue virus. This virus has never been rogue. Yeah, This virus has always been under the sovereign hand of God. Mm-hmm. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't touched anyone that God himself didn't design decree and ultimately allow not an allowance in a sense of, well, you know, I don't really want it to do that, but I'll allow it. No, it's gone to every person, to every part of the world that God himself has seen to do it. I mean, he's sovereign. That's what sovereignty means. He's not a passive sovereign. He's an active sovereign. There's no rogue molecules. There's no rogue virus. There's no rogue individual. And so also under that, the Bible's clear. Every day of your life was already ordained by God before anyone came into being. So you will not die one day sooner than God has, has designed. That doesn't give you a license to test God, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, that's what Satan's, that was Satan's whole point with Jesus. Hey, God said he's not going to let, you know, one, one hair of your head be hurt. He's not going to, he's good. The angels will, will, will hold you down to the earth, jump off the temple and, 
and the Lord will protect you. And what did Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, mm-hmm. right? Nobody believed in the sovereignty more than Jesus. And so it doesn't give you the right to test God, but it, it demands that you trust God, mm-hmm. right? And so no one's testing God when we talk about trusting in God's sovereignty. We're just talking about going about what God has commanded us to do with no fear. Mm-hmm. And I have no fear. And you shouldn't have fear over this. Uh, you should trust the Lord and do what's wise. And certain people have comorbidity. Certain people obviously uh, should do all that they can do to protect themselves. But sooner or later, you're going to have to obey the Lord and do what needs to be done. And that's going to demand leaving your house. It's going to demand taking off your mask. It's going to demand a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But in the end, and it, it might even demand taking a vaccine. You know what? Whether you take the vaccine or you don't, Guess what the common denominator between both of those people are? You have to trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. So you take the vaccine, good, take it. Guess what? You're going to trust the Lord that that vaccine doesn't detrimentally hurt you because every vaccine can. And you don't take it, good, trust the Lord because you're going to have to trust the Lord that you don't get the virus and die or whatever else. And so at the end of the day, both people, whoever they are, are going to end up or should end up at the same spot. I'm going to do what I do while I trust the Lord and move forward. And that's, that's the response that should have always been. And that's the response that must continue to be how we go forward. We have so much more to talk about, but, uh, pastor Matt said that he needs to be home by six o'clock. And I uh, need to be somewhere else by six o'clock, but I gotta go home and pick up my wife. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want to have any problems with first lady. So, Oh man, she knows you called her that you, you you will have problems. (laughs) She hates that. If I really want to jab her, I'll call her that. Man, I get the evil eye. Yeah, and you know what? I I will. I I never want to have the evil eye because she's too nice to even to you. Me to even think that she has an evil Watch eye. This. Watch this. Let me rephrase that. My wife's never given an evil eye. <laughs> there's no evil. There's no evil within her at there, all. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There's this thing where you know it's like the wife's is this guy's telling the joke. He's like, my wife is perfect. Oh, she's perfect. It's like she never makes a mistake, but she's the same person that says, hey, can you call my phone? Call my phone. Can you call my phone? <laughs> and Beverly walks up to me. She's like, can you call my phone? I yeah. was like, oh, my goodness. Here we go. All right. Well, we're going to end it here. Thank you all for another year of listening, and uh, we appreciate you. Listen to the end of the podcast so you get all the, the vitals so you can follow us on social media and, you know, if you have a question, all those things. All right. Now here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I uh, I appreciate the uh, time you've taken to uh, speak to me. And now uh, what I'd like for you to do is uh, give us the gospel of Jesus Christ in light of uh, all the things that we've talked about. And now, you know, you saying that and and showing us that scripture uh, is sufficient um, for, for everything, just giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll stay in. Romans and talk about Romans because mm-hmm. I think it's a very insightful text of scripture. Obviously the apostle Paul didn't plant this church, but he knew some people there. He was on his way to, to preach the word of God in other parts. And as he's going to preach the word of God on his way, he wants to stop and speak to the people in Rome and he says to the believers there that I, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now they're believers there, but he, he wants to preach the gospel to them. Because the good news is not just for the 
the unbeliever, the good news is for the believer. The good news that, that Christ came, truly God, truly man, came to this earth, took on, as Philippians 2 says, the form of a slave. That is the lowest position of humanity that you can take. Suffered among us, lived this life, sacrificed so that we may be saved. The Apostle Paul in Romans, as he's planning to minister in other parts, including Spain, he, he stops to address a very key doctrine for the church and for all people is, how is it possible for sinners to be right with God? We are, we're sinners and we have a sin nature and that's why we sin. We love our sin. We plan our sin, so we love them. We relish in our sin, that, so we meditate on them, so we can do it again. But here's a God that scripture says he can't even dwell tabernacle. He can't hang out with sinners at all, not for one moment. It just seems that we have an impasse. We just cannot be right with God because of that sin nature. But then there's another thing. We will not be right with God because we run from God. You would think that if we need help, uh, we need grace. We do that. We'll run to God, but we don't because the scripture outlines that truth that we don't want to be justified initially. We don't want to be cleared righteous as, as treacherous as our sins are, as wicked as we are. It says that we have all turned aside in Romans 3 verse 12. Instead of running to God, we run from God. In verse 15, our feet is swift to shed blood. The way of peace they have not known or we have not known. Verse 11, we don't seek for God. And it's very clear. And then it says that in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And if you ever thought your deeds could do it for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now you say, well, I'm a pretty morally upright person. I mean, I, I listen to this podcast because, you know, this is some pretty good stuff. I'm a good person. Well, chapter three says you're not. The other thing too is that every person is, is under the wrath of God. God's wrath abides against us because of our condition of sin. All people, and it, has to do with the fact that what God has revealed to us, we suppress. In other words, we hold it down. We, we refuse it. We lessen it. And you will say, well, you know, yeah, I believe in the Bible, but you know, I believe in it having a good time. Yeah, I believe in the Bible, but I, I don't see anything wrong with living with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I mean, we all do it and we love each other. Yeah, I believe in God, but if, if they care for each other, why can't they be together? So it shows right there, as, as you say you believe in God, your words are contrary to the nature of God, who created male and female for marriage, born male, born female for marriage. That living together is an abomination. It is a sin because you're not in covenant in that relationship. So you're both on loan, right? As they say, why buy the cow if the milk is free? Mm -hmm. So no one is sacrificing, no one is offering themselves up in, in the marriage. It's a dishonor to God. The scripture says that we suppress the truth. We modify it. We adjust it. We edit it. 
You may have found a so-called church where the pre preacher makes you happy, but not holy. His jokes dumb down the truth. He doesn't talk about hell or heaven. You're guilty. You're suppressing it. And you will find a teacher, a preacher, so-called, who will help suppress it with you. So obviously, it's clear. You have a sin problem. You have a sin nature. You're suppressing the truth of God. You cannot be right with God. There's nothing you can do. Well, you can I'll clean myself up this Sunday. I'll go to church. I'll get it right. I've been staying home from COVID. I'm, I'm going to get myself together. You can't. You will not. You cannot because it is not deeds. That's not the problem. It's your heart. You have a heart of sin. You have a nature of sin. That's the guilt. It's a real guilt. It's a real problem. It's a real issue. And there's no escape of it. I can't modify the truth. I can't lessen it. You are on your way to hell in your sin. Unless you repent. That's why I have this good news. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, God's righteousness has been revealed. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is able to declare guilty sinners righteous who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and robe them with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that an alien righteousness, which means the righteousness is not in you. It is a righteousness that you're clothed with. You're robed with a righteousness. It is a righteousness not of your own. How can God do that? Well, he does that by crediting, that is imputing the righteousness, putting the righteousness of Christ on your account and your sin, your guilt, the wrath that you deserve on the cross of Jesus Christ on his account with a sinless Christ becomes sin for you so that you might become the righteousness, so you might be robed in the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. The way that God saves a sinner is he declares him righteous. And when he acquits you in his court, you'll never be accused. And I love using that phrase. Once God acquits you, you can never be accused by anyone. That's what Romans 8 says. Well, what can separate us? Not even your sin, not even the world, not even trials, not even death can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. As to why we want to make the gospel clear that we want to, you to know that you are guilty, first of all. And the only way the, the burden of guilt is removed is when Christ becomes your righteousness and God sent him to live an absolutely perfect life on this earth, to obey the law of God that you could not obey, and to absorb the full wrath of the Father so that you might be declared righteous by faith. So now the sinner, here's the truth of God's word. Here's that Christ was sent so that he may be righteous, that Christ was sent to be the propitiation for their sin, the offering for their sin. Not only um, that God will atone for a sin, but that his wrath may be placated or appeased. All done in Christ. He justifies you as a gift, the scripture says in verse 24 of Romans 3. To the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that Christ has purchased your salvation on the cross, you are redeemed by the grace of God when you turn from your sin, your self-righteousness, your self-absorption, your self-love, your self-care, love of this world, and you turn away from this world and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, acknowledging your sin and saying, God, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you. I violated your law. I am a lawbreaker by nature. I'm a lawbreaker by deeds. I need the law fulfiller. I need a righteousness out of my own. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my righteousness. Beautiful. God justifies, he declares righteous, the ungodly sinner who has faith in him. That's the good news that Paul wanted to declare in Romans. He spends, spends almost eight chapters, the first half, more than the first half of this letter, fleshing out 
what it means to be in the bondage of sin, but free in the Lord Jesus Christ, because God justifies, declares righteous, the sinner who has faith in him. When God saves you and cleanses you, you can say like David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not ever count his sin against him or her. That's, that's glorious. If you're burdened by your sin, the guilt of your sin, it is lifted in Christ, all of it. And your past, present, and future sins, God will not hold it against you because he nailed all of your sin on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you turn from your sin, your wickedness, your evil ways, your adulterous ways, your pornography, your love of pornography, your, your, your love of unfaithfulness, your love of, of living with that partner and you're not saved. He forgives you of the, all of those treacherous sins. If you've committed abortion, he's merciful to forgive you. Turn from your sin. Let him know you've committed that sin. It's an offense against him. And he will graciously give you pardon. He will graciously give you eternal life and he will justify you and you will have peace with God for all eternity. That's good news to me. That is why I don't want to preach reparation. I want to preach repentance. Turn from your sin and be saved and free from the wrath to come and enjoy the eternal love of the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, for his glory and for your good. A ton of amens and amen again. Thank you, Pastor. I really appreciate you uh, giving us uh, in in such a a compact say way. I would say I know you have more to say about it. You could go on a little longer, but I appreciate you uh, doing that for us. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. If you wanted to reach out to us, please do that by uh, dropping us a line at the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 612-88-TRUTH. And uh, we appreciate you all listening. And uh, we will see you all next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at BelcroftBibleChurch.org. Delighting in the Word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Belcroft Bible Church. So, I know some of you feel as if the year did not end on the note that you wanted it to end on. I completely understand. It did not end on the note that we wanted because uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, a couple a week ago, I actually was diagnosed or came up positive with COVID. Had all the symptoms, all the issues that go along with it. And this uh, flu that I had is extremely uh, <laughs> efficient to put a brother down. And that's exactly what happened. So I will end the year by saying this. I am 100% sure that God is sovereign. Why? Because during the time that I had COVID, I did not have to work my regular job as much as possible, as much as I needed to. But I also was able to relax and rest, which is what I needed to do because it's been a very long year. So I'm grateful that God has given me a, the opportunity to be 
rested and I feel great now. Um, obviously, I, you know, you can still hear some stuffiness that's there, but uh, I am grateful that God has allowed us to do what we uh, are able to do. With that in mind, um, Matt and myself, our schedules just did not line up because we wanted to do another ending, another part to this, because we really didn't talk about the year. So uh, I'm going to open it up to folks. If you actually listened to the end of the podcast, which most people don't, I want you to reach out to me and let me know what you would like to talk about. And with that being the case, meaning like last year, um, you know, a few things that you wanted to kind of for, for us to cover. So we will be kind of talking through a few things as far as like, you know, last year and what, you know, what transpired last year, big events and stuff like that. So it'll be fun for us to have that conversation. But I want to hear from you all as well. What is it that you uh, what was a highlight for the year for you? And this doesn't necessarily have to be a question, but it can just be kind of like a here. Here's a highlight uh, for me for my life or, uh, for the life of the church or any of those things. Uh, one of the big things that, um, we will be talking about, uh, it's not COVID this time because we talked to, we had a whole show about that just now, a whole podcast, but uh, we will be talking about some of the other major things. And one of the biggest things was the CDC's like, Hey, you're on your own at the very end of the year. I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate you all listening. Um, to all of my therapy sessions that I have with Matt. And I'm uh, grateful that you all will take the opportunity and take the time to listen uh, to any of these podcasts. I don't deserve that. Uh, I'm just a humble slave that uh, loves to uh, share the gospel with people, um, but I also need help. So this con- this this podcast is the perfect combination for the both of those things to, to just come to light. And I get to record all the sessions that I have with Matt. So it's awesome. Thank you all, and I wish you all a happy new year. Uh, Didn't wish you all a Merry Christmas specifically, but there you go. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and may God's peace and grace uh, carry us as we look forward to Christ coming back and him cracking that sky. Thank you all. Take care.